Welcome to episode 300 of Destination Linux. Destination Linux is a video podcast from the Tux Digital Network. If you're new to the show, this is a conversational podcast perfect for all experience levels. Whether you're brand new to open source or a guru of sudo, this is the podcast for you. My name is Michael. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jill. And on this week's episode of Destination Linux, we're going to be celebrating our 300th episode. Thanks to you, the listeners, and all the amazing contributors to open source that makes us have stuff to talk about each and every week. Thank you so much. And we're going to have actually a thing we're celebrating at the end of the show where all the people who are here live can join us in the patron-only post-show. So it's not going to be patron-only this week as a celebration of the 300th episode. Then we'll also be taking a look at some potential uh, new contender for a Linux laptop championship belt. We might have a perfectly specced laptop to talk about, so we'll be sure to check that out. And also, we're going to be talking about all of the awesome contributions that happen in the Linux world and the open source world. So we have that, plus so much more, including our tips and tricks and software picks right now on Destination Linux. This week's community feedback comes from Ryan, so it's all about Arch, because I sent it in myself. No, yes, naturally. This is a different Ryan. <laughs> uh, oh, Ryan really? sent us one of their origin stories of Linux, which I thought was interesting. It was really funny. It was a long email, so this is kind of a condensed version of it. But essentially, they say, I recently came across your show, and I thought I would share my Linux origin story. I'd been aware of Linux since the early 2000s, but it wasn't at the state where I felt comfortable trying it on hardware until 2013. I was going back to school to get into IT and the professor mentioned it in passing. See how important professors are, Jill, mm -hmm. to starting yes. this Linux trend here? Because we hear this happen quite a bit in colleges and those things, which makes me yep. very happy. Yes. So many people do that. They go on to say, this opened up a whole new world to me. Linux is just designed in such a way that makes learning the under the hood stuff more straightforward. I tried all the major distros. So there I was staring at packages, scrolling up the console. And my girlfriend popped in and asked, if they could install Linux on her computer. My face must have looked like she just told me that she's a Zygon. That's a Doctor Who reference. We looked it up before the show. And she's warning me of the coming invasion. I got the XFCE spin, good desktop choice, on Fedora 20 installed and replacing that computer. She's been happy in the Linux Mint world. After all my jumping distros, I eventually landed on Gen 2 because I'm a masochist. Uh, that's a quote, people. That's in the email. <laughs> I, I didn't say it. <laughs> the Gen 2 people are ruthless. I didn't say it. Ryan did. Not this Ryan. The other Ryan. <laughs> Ryan. Uh, mm -hmm. Yes, uh, I agree with you, Ryan. Uh, if I didn't get into <laughs> Linux, I wouldn't have had the thought that I could try my hand at software development. The commercials from big tech companies in the 90s centered around the message, are you that special programmer we need? Which implanted the idea that required some Vulcan level talent, and it doesn't. I love the show. Keep up the great work. So I love your email. I love your name. It's a perfect first name. Probably yeah. everyone. <laughs> you seem a little biased on that one, Ryan. First yeah. name there of Ryan. You seem a little biased. Okay. But Ryan and I relate on multiple <laughs> levels because my Linux journey was very similar in that I remember thinking I was kind of a master of operating systems. like, And, and that just was Windows because that's really like I knew Mac OS too. But I really knew Windows. I, I ran a team of IT. We could do Windows servers. I could do all this stuff in Windows. And I thought, I'm a master of operating system. And then this Linux thing came across mm -hmm. my desk. 
And I realized I don't know anything about operating systems. (laughs) And that's because Windows hides so much of that behind the scenes. And when you get into the Linux world, you start learning things like about the difference between a kernel and a desktop environment and the different distros and options and window managers and all of these Mm -hmm. things that come together to make this harmony that we have of Linux. So I love the fact that you kind of brought that up there. And it was very similar like with me that now I realized even now in Linux after years of being in it that I still would never call myself a master of an operating system again because there's so many pieces that make this up to make mm-hmm. this thing work. It, it's actually quite magical when you think about it. Yeah, it really is, Ryan. And it's it was it was neat that the Ryan in the in the email mentioned his uh, girlfriend wanting to get into Linux. The same thing happened, of course, with me and my Steve husband, except for that his Linux journey is started because of whatever distro of the week I installed on his laptop. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. You made Steve yeah. distro hop. Yeah, no I made yeah. him distro hop. But the nice thing was is he's he had been noticing um, how how pretty the different distros look. So I would ask him, well, what distro do you like? And he would tell me whether it was, you know, Pop! OS or, or Ubuntu Mate. And then I'd put that on his laptop. So nice. <laughs> from the visual side of it, uh, he, he got to choose too. What does Steve <laughs> use now out of curiosity? <laughs> it's Ubuntu. It's Ubuntu. It's, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so for those who don't know, when Michael and I met Jill for the first time in California at scale, I, I have to mention that I knew Steve would follow Jill in whatever distro or what <laughs> anything she asked because Steve is just, they're like two lovebirds when they're together. Like they, <laughs> Steve loves Jill so much and so hard that anything Jill was doing, Steve would be involved in and, and be supporting there. So I had no doubt that he would be following you on this Linux journey. True love. Yeah. We got to witness. Michael, it was disgustingly <laughs> It was disgustingly adorable, yes. Yes, yes, absolutely. So I had no doubt, Jill, that Steve would follow you, uh, whatever OS you chose there. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I think this is really a great feedback. And and it's also kind of interesting because when I started in Linux, I started in a time where it was difficult and you kind of did have to have Vulcan-level talent. And Mm -hmm. and, But I also was doing Windows and Linux at the same time. So it was kind of like I was learning the operating system concepts at this. I didn't really see that. I didn't have that experience of going from like the Windows side to the Linux side. It was all kind of meshed together. And that was something I never, I kind of took for granted when, you know, people who are coming from Windows to Linux see like it's a different experience and like it's kind of eye opening in that sense. So this is a really good piece of feedback for that because, you know, I felt like, I didn't experience that eye-opening thing because I saw it as it grew. And uh, that's a really cool perspective because there's so many different benefits to using Linux in addition to you know the nice privacy and the ease of use of updates and all that stuff. But even the fact that you get to learn so much just by installing it, like that's a fantastic point. You know how else you could learn a bunch of stuff, Michael? <laughs> uh, what's that perhaps, Ryan? Digital Ocean. Oh, that's right. Digital Ocean. In fact, that's a sponsor for today's episode. You can go to do.co slash tux2022. And cloud computing can be, let's say, complex. 
But standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. Thanks to DigitalOcean, you can get started and really quickly with their awesome cloud platform because they have a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, networking products, and so much more to put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your teams can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. Plus, DigitalOcean offers predictable pricing, robust product documentation, and services that developers love. For example, I love the Marketplace system where you can do one-click installs of droplets with all sorts of different software to make it really super easy to set up your software on their service. It's just awesome. Plus, at DigitalOcean, you get support at every stage of growth, whether you have a person, uh, you know, just one person in your team or a thousand people in your team. DigitalOcean can help you get growing with their simple, powerful cloud computing. And as a listener of the Destination Linux podcast and a member of the Tux Digital community, you can get started for free. Actually, it's better than free because you can get a $100 60-day free credit when you go to do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux2022. So again, go get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform at do.co slash tux2022. I couldn't think of a better way to celebrate our 300th episode than to talk about all the amazing contributions out there in the open source community. In fact, this idea came to us actually from one of our patrons that sent a note in thanking us for helping expose them to all of the different projects and contributions to those projects out there, which we've kind of touched on, but in little pieces here and there. Like, did you know this company contributed to this package? Maybe it came through interviews and other things. So we definitely try to get exposure there, but I thought let's just do a whole episode and talk about all of these important projects, not all of them because that would take forever, but highlight some of the really important projects out there that are contributed to from the various corporations, whether that's their time, whether that's allowing employees to work on this, whether they're directly contributing financially and other things to these projects. We're going to get into it in this episode. And when we talked about earlier in the community feedback, the complexity of an operating system, all the things that go into it. When you think of things like desktop environments or system D and things, there's a lot of pieces to that puzzle that people have to all kind of contribute their work to, to make it happen. And a lot of that is done thanks to a lot of corporations and things allowing, like I said, their employees and stuff to work on it. So while I would, there's a lot of individuals as well that just contribute without any corporate backing, but it would be impossible. We'd have to have like a Star Wars level scrolling of everybody's name and the packages. Oh, yeah. so it's kind of easier to start with the corporations and then work our way backwards from there. But I think it's something to really be thinking about as you go into the open source world is the different packages you install, the different things that happen on the back end and looking into who are the people who are contributing and making this happen because we love their faces. They're amazing. And without them, we wouldn't have the open source projects that we have today. So Michael, you just got back from the Ubuntu Summit. And what's really interesting is I helped you pick the topic that you were going to talk about. You had all these dumb ideas and I was like, hey, let's focus on marketing because you're really good at marketing and open source is terrible at marketing. And my point to that is that's why we have to talk about who's included and who does what, because there is no good marketing in open source. Mm. So you're welcome mm. for the topic idea. And by the way, you nailed your talk. It yeah, was it was amazing. Yeah. I appreciate I so that. I'm proud of Michael. I appreciate that. Uh, you know, thank you for 
you know, commenting about my the, the how good it was. I think You're it welcome. went pretty well, so I'm I'm glad it, it you know came across that way. Also, I just want to clarify one thing: you did not come up with the idea. We're not going to skip over that part. Uh, I had a couple of ideas. Ryan did help me choose which one to pick, but it wasn't like. His oh, other I ideas, need help, Brian. Were Give so me ideas. bad. Let, let no. me tell you, his his idea no, was weren't. like open source stools. Uh, no, they were not open source. Not room. Not a uh, chance. All of these type of stupid things, and I was like, let's focus on marketing, Mike. N- this is this is one hundred percent not true, as normal. Most of the things that he says about me, but also <laughs> there. Uh, but speaking of which, the the head of the event, Morrow, is a member of our community, and yeah. he did come up to me at, and say he apologized. He couldn't find a stool for my talk. Yes. And <laughs> he said he, he tried, he tried, but he couldn't do it. I'm like, I it's, it's it. okay. Thanks for trying. How funny would that have been <laughs> if yes. he had brought that onto stage? But uh, yeah. those who went to scale would notice Michael was sitting on a stool at scale because Jill and Steve <laughs> made sure yeah. Michael had a stool to sit on, <laughs> which very, he didn't sit on because it was very uncomfortable. No, <laughs> I, I, I I sat on it. I even yeah, I even did. didn't think about it. I just saw a stool. I sat on it. and I was like, oh wow. I didn't and even then, think about it. It's second yeah. nature. Yeah, it's just, it's I know. Just, just... It is what it is. You know. It also somehow accidentally, by no p- part of my own, uh, made Ryan trip, and I put it in the episode of it pointed it accidentally. Out. Oh yeah. I, you know what happened. I, I I don't know what happened there. It just you know things just happen sometimes. Great. <laughs> Well, going back to the marketing talk, you, you really did give a very important talk at the summit because and a lot of people were interested. You got a lot of questions at the end, which is in some of the video, but you also got a lot of questions afterwards. A lot of people oh, yeah. coming up to you asking about their specific projects and how they can market it. I mean, when you when you think about your time there, what are some of the highlights at the Ubuntu Summit outside of the, the marketing talk? Yeah. Well, I mean, the talk was fun, and I, I really liked the the interaction with the the QA part of it. I wasn't expecting to be having a lot of questions, and there was too many questions, so the time ran over, and we had to do it afterwards. So that was awesome. Uh, so I enjoyed that. But also meeting people in person that I've known for years and being able to meet them at a conference is just fantastic. Because a lot of times, you know, it, we have this global community of conversation between people who live thousands of miles away or thousands of kilometers away. And I learned kilometers while I was there, by the way. And this is a really um, important thing to have where you can meet people in person and have a direct conversation because, you know, having a conversation in a web conference is great. There is a value to this, but in person can't be beat, you know, it's just, it's so much better. So I met hundreds of people that I either didn't know and met for the first time or people I've known for years and still met them for the first time. So it's really cool. Uh, another big highlight for me was getting to sit down with Mark Shuttleworth of Canonical for an interview. And that is going to be coming out really soon. Still got to edit it right now, but it was a fantastic conversation. And I just wanted to thank Mark for sitting down and having that conversation with me. And we're going to have Mark on Destination Linux soon. So something for you all to look forward to. Oh, yeah. As well, in addition to that interview. Oh, and make sure to check out, you can go and and watch uh, Michael's talk at Ubuntu Summit at the Ubuntu On Air YouTube channel, and it's uh, day two. Nice. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's start with Canonical. It kind of makes sense. It kind of just flows there to start with Canonical and some of the contributions that they have there. Debian. This is one where I don't think (laughs) Canonical gets nearly enough recognition 
for the contributions that they actually make back to Debian. I don't even know if people, yeah. I know people think Ubuntu, they know Ubuntu was based on Debian, but I don't think they realize how much Canonical gives back to that project. Jill, yeah. you're a big fan of Debian. Talk yeah. to me. So, you know, the Debian, um, if a lot of you don't know, is the foundational OS of which Ubuntu and a lot of distros are, are based off of. And it's stable. And that's, you know, Ubuntu strives for stability. And they have given back to Debian with apt, apt-get. So the, the two distros work in concert with each other. It's just the list goes on and on. <laughs> yeah. It could be a huge list there. But I, I think yeah. that's an important thing for people to notate is it's not a one-way street there. It's kind of a two-way street yeah. there. Yeah. A lot of people think that, you know. It's give and take. I've seen people say on Reddit or you know forums or whatever about how that Ubuntu takes advantage of Debian. People should just use Debian or whatever. And it's kind of weird because that that just proves that they don't know how much interaction and collaboration is being done. Now mm -hmm. there are people who are working on Debian that are not a part of Canonical, but the percentage of people who are a part of Canonical who work on Debian is very high. There's a lot of great work being done thanks to Canonical and Ubuntu developers. Like for example, the uh, we talked about in a previous episode the difference between apt and apt-get, whereas mm -hmm. apt-get is the Debian version from like 1998, and apt is the Ubuntu created version in 2014 and onward. But that was made by Ubuntu inside of Debian. It wasn't made for just Ubuntu. It was made for all Debian-based stuff. Yeah. It was a contribution that they gave to everybody, and that's the sort of thing that people might not be aware of. That happens all the time. Yeah. So the next thing we have on the canonical list, and by the way, there's no way we can even list all the contributions for all of oh, the yeah. various corporations. So we're just picking some highlights we think are interesting for the community. But Mir, Wayland Compositor, is right. this a big deal, Michael? I think it's a big deal because Wayland is an interesting situation of a server protocol because it's it doesn't have its own compositor necessarily. Yes, it has a reference compositor, which is the West End compositor, but it doesn't have that as in the intention for everything to be used. So GNOME has the Mutter window manager slash compositor that has its own implementation of Wayland. KDE has KWIN, which has this, their own implementation of Wayland. Then there's WL Roots and etc. But all of these things are made for specific things or more for specific types. So like WL Roots is more for like Sway and tiling window managers and stuff like that. Whereas Mir originally started as a display server that was competing with Wayland because Wayland was taking a long time and Mir, they wanted to have something available quickly as possible. And Mir arguably was better for a long time as a display server. There were tons of great benefits to it, but eventually they decided, you know what? Uh, Wayland's gonna be the, the dominant choice, so let's pivot what Mir is. And a lot of people think that they canceled Mir when they canceled Unity, but they didn't. What they did was convert Mir into a Wayland compositor, which can be used in a bunch of other DEs. For example, Mate is going to be using the Mir uh, compositing for Wayland to have that support, and pretty much any DE that wants to adopt it can do that. So it's kind of universal, kind of not, in the sense that Wayland can do a lot of different compositors. But it's just something I think is important to note because, one, it didn't go away and people think it did. And two, it is valuable to have as something as, as a developed desktop environment who doesn't have the capacity to build their own compositor don't have to, thanks to Mir. That's awesome. That's mm -hmm. great. 
information as well. So Light DM is another one I think we need to be brought up because Zubuntu, everyone, the greatest Ubuntu distribution out there is Ubuntu, obviously. And Light DM <laughs> is a free and open source display manager out there that probably a, a lot of people right? have used. Just a little bit. I mean, I love XFC. Oh, XFC Rodentia OS is is one of the best desktop. Yeah. <laughs> so light DM is something. Now there's some other things again that we're not going to dig into because we've got so many things. But just to mention OpenStack, CloudInit, Launchpad, Snaps, Juju, MicroKate, Open Input, which is a software stack provides platform agnostic multi-touch and gesture input are all things Canonical has their hands in or helping with development, funding, those type of things, contributions to the code. Uh, very important. Red Hat is up next. Mm -hmm. And this one is very interesting. And um, thankfully, I don't have my red hat hat on and showing a bunch of bias <laughs> here because you may think we're going to be biased on this one, but it just we're not. It just so happens Red Hat contributes a ton to pretty much everything. So yes. it's very true. a huge list here. They're the leading contributor to the Linux kernel uh, in many cases, not every year, but they're always at the top towards the top of the list. Uh, Xorg. Uh, they Gnome, actually maintain Xorg completely right now. Yeah. Adora, KVM virtualization. I mean, we can look at all these things. Michael, you mentioned the audio stuff, which is very important for yes. us. Do I think people that's realize it. what Red Hat uh, contributes there? You want to... You wanna... I don't think people realize that much, Ryan, about how much Red Hat involved in the audio stack. So thank you for bringing it up. I think it's very important. The yeah. Pipewire pipe audio server is something that is happening a lot more and more in the distro uh, you know, releases by default, which is fantastic because Pipewire is awesome. We are we use Pipewire all the time for mix minus stuff for this show because we have an interesting setup that requires a lot of different configurations and Pipewire makes it totally easy to do and because it has the ability to support jack functionality. But there's also something that Red Hat, in addition to Pipewire created that a lot of people aren't aware of. And that is the thing that it's replacing is Pulse Audio. So Pulse Audio and Pipewire are both Red Hat made projects and they've been working on the audio server stack for decades at this point. And a lot of people don't think about all these different pieces that are core fundamental things that you kind of take for granted. Like once you have it, you don't think about it, right? And Pulse Audio had a lot of bit like, you know, um, I wouldn't say hate, but some, you know, some harsh comments it back in aging. the day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, but th there, there was a little bit of people who didn't like Pulse Audio and then eventually it became like this standard and never I expected Pulse Audio. And now Piper is coming out and people were like, oh, is Piper really that good? And I think if Red, if Red Hat thinks that the audio server that they're making is better than the audio server they already made, it's probably better. So, mm -hmm. right. You know, that kind there of thing. Go. But they've, they've made all sorts of great stuff. A lot of people aren't aware that SystemD started as a Red Hat project as well. And whether you like SystemD or not, that's up to you. However, I think that it's fantastic and it makes a it's system administration. a huge impact you know. in open source. So yeah, right. yeah. it's worth mentioning. SE Linux, Vert Manager, and Cockpit. Mm -hmm. but KVM virtualization, this is a big deal. Oh, a lot yeah. of people utilize. Like, th these are huge projects that they're involved in. Jill, you've got to watch this along with Michael. Yeah. These companies kind of create these projects too. Wh which one stands out to you the most in Red Hat? Uh, one of them is RPM because they yeah. developed, invented the package management system that everyone is, is, all the other distros kind of base off, even apt 
is similar to RPM. So yeah, that was that was huge when we had that convenience on Linux. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, for those who don't know why this is important. Um, there was this process of a package manager that um, did that was created in the concept to do, to solve dependency issues. And if you don't know what that is, imagine when you install an application and it says, okay, you need this, this, and this, and this, and this, and this in order for this main thing you want to work. Now, go back before RPM and then imagine you have to manually figure out all the dependencies and install them first before you get to that one you actually wanted. I would not have stayed with Linux. I that's the exactly. Totally not a state of yeah. <laughs> Those that's are the Slackware that, years. <laughs> yeah. That is that is the impact that, that that had. It changed everything, and then it keeps yeah. getting better and better with new iterations. And also, there's also alternatives to do it in a different way, but still solves that main fundamental issue. And there's so much great stuff that Red Hat has made, and we can't list everything because there's uh -huh. there's just Too much. literally hundreds to list. Network manager. Plug and play Ethernet on Linux. <laughs> That's an important one we yeah. almost skipped over. Yes. Yeah. yes. Network manager, the thing that everyone uses to connect to the internet on Linux distros. Yeah. Is, uh, yeah. Thank you, Red Hat. <laughs> yes. I mean, the, the list is major contributions, too. They're major contributor to LibreOffice. They're major contributor to Nautilus. Um, and of course, with IBM, which is owns Red Hat now, you've got a bunch of projects under them that are open source that they contribute to as well. It just, there, we'll have links in the show notes that you can click on and go through all of the amazing work that they've done in open source. It's worthy of your time to take a look because it may change your opinion. I know some people nowadays are not big fans of corporations, but Without them, we really wouldn't have gotten to this point. And I always look at open source corporations in a very different light than other companies out there. So SUSE, we've got SUSE on here. We've got the open build service, which, Michael, you've talked about this continuously. One of the amazing innovations from SUSE. One of SUSE. my favorite things. Yep. Yeah. What, what is the purpose of this? Why is this important, the open build service? So the Open Build Service, or OBS, is a service that allows you to create packages in basically any configuration you want. You, so you create a spec file designed to be used on the OBS system, and then what it does is create packages based on what you're trying to build. And it could do so for, of course, OpenSUSE, but it could also build packages for Ubuntu, Arch, uh, Fedora, you know, insert any pretty much pet distro. It also can create app images and stuff like that. And I'm pretty sure it works with flat packs or they're working on making flat pack support. The idea that you could go to this one platform, build all your packages and not, and have it do everything for you and also do the testing to make sure the packages are properly built and all that is just, is fantastic. It's such a great service that I'm shocked that not every distro uses it. Uh, because there's so much value in it. But there are a lot of projects that use OBS. And when I see uh, people using it, it's like, oh, great. Now I know I can get whatever package I want. Right. And that's fantastic. I think OpenQA falls in there as well, which is an automated testing tool for Linux. OpenSUSE, yeah. Fedora, oh, yeah. others utilize this. And this helps make these distros so stable because it's impossible to have every single type of person's configuration available to you. They don't have walls of computers. They're just sitting there trying to install their distro on every one and different configurations and cards to figure it out. So you have to create some type of automation and testing tool 
so the stuff goes out and is covers the majority of scenarios and hardware and things that people have. And that's where something like OpenQA comes in. Just an absolutely critical project in the open source uh, world that everyone really should be utilizing if they could. Yeah, yeah. I also think the thing, the OpenQA thing is something that a lot of people aren't really fully how, how aware how far it goes. Like the specifics that I was, my mind was blown by is that when I saw the OpenQA thing, I'm like, okay, great. You got results. It's got some benchmarks, tells you if it was successful, blah, 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 blah. But what if something goes wrong? How do you see what happened? They actually have videos being recorded of anything you're doing on the desktop. So you can go in and see exactly what happened in what order and all of that for all of the tests. And that blew my mind. Like, it's not even just testing the stuff to make sure it works with a, you know, fail or pass. It also shows you exactly what happened, whether it passed or not. And if it doesn't pass, you could see what the issue is to quickly fix it. And that was just, that was crazy to me. Mm. They're also one of the biggest contributors to ButterFS. Yes, oh, ButterFS. Yeah. You remember that? That that was in the Linux news for a long time, controversial, you know, and they were one of the first distros to use ButterFS. I like and how you mentioned becoming... controversial. Yeah, it, yeah. Was at, at it was a sticking point for people yeah. in the Linux community. Like there yeah. was there was the ButterFS <laughs> people, and there was a small little group of ButterFS <laughs> people. It felt like compared to this huge group that was like, no, never ButterFS. And yeah. now when Fedora kind of adopted <laughs> it, but SUSE has been pushing that all along, like, hey, this is really cool. This is going to allow you to do some really neat things like rollbacks and such. And so they were able to kind of kick that off without their help there. I don't think ButterFS would be where it is today for sure. Mm -hmm. oh, and yeah. Michael, they were a huge contributor to KDE for a long time. That's mm -hmm. true. That, that's got to make you happy. They contributed to KDE for very, very many, many years. And they also contribute to GNOME as well. Uh, I will say, Sousa, uh, consider contributing to KDE again. I think it's worth it. Not because I'm biased and that I like KDE, <laughs> but just saying. Just feel yeah. free to do that. Putting that out there. Yeah, just, yeah, just put it out there. Yeah. <laughs> and you've got Longhorn, Rancher Desktop, GNU Compiler Collective. There's hundreds more there. Again, we'll have links in there for Sousa and their contributions to open source. Uh, now I get to go into some things that uh, we hopefully will generate some hate mail, which we can read on the show. Hopefully. <laughs> yes, Ryan. Hopefully. That's what I'm hoping. Uh, Microsoft. Well, oh. many on, <laughs> well, many in our community keep a watchful eye on Microsoft, and uh, they're kind of like the big brother of the open source world. Mm -hmm. They are a leading contributor to open source projects. When it comes to number of active contributors, the amount of employees that they have engaged in open source, it's quite impressive. You've got things like Linux kernel development which they mm -hmm. are one of, in some of the years, the leading contributor to the Linux kernel. I don't yep. think a lot of people realize that as far as yeah. code commits. Right, commits themselves, yeah. Yes. And it's, and it's, or lines of code in some cases. They, they on, they're in the top 10 pretty much every year, but a couple of times they were like the top contributors. And now that's a, so that is something worth noted. Also worth noted is that, um, well, they did it for themselves. <laughs> Well, a lot but, of their yeah. most of the stuff that they yeah. do is yeah, beneficial yeah. to them, and like, but it's still open source contributions, and it is beneficial yeah. to the Linux kernel. Otherwise, they wouldn't have put it in the kernel. It wouldn't have been able to allow to be in the kernel. So it's you know, just say. Let's not say everything because <laughs> we did get Clippy open source. So yeah. 
that okay, only okay. is an advantage to the world, Michael. I, not I, just I concede the argument. I 100% that that solves every possible aspect of whether or not you should trust Microsoft. Because <laughs> yeah, of Clippy. Because of Clippy. Oh, inspired by Clippy. Microsoft Bob. Sorry, I had to put that in there. Was that uh, Microsoft Bob was before Clippy? Yes, yes. the predecessor. Yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> it wasn't any better, and Clippy yeah. is still like Clippy was an improvement. <laughs> Let's just yes. say that. That's shocking. Absolutely. That's shocking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they have accessibility insights, the Azure platform, of course, open education analytics. They have a lot of contributions there. Yeah. What about Google? Google, Google. is a yeah. huge contributor. That's an interesting one. Yeah. They've done a lot of stuff. I mean, you could argue they do things in a weird way sometimes, but they still do it. Like yeah. Android, open source, mm -hmm. the AOSP system. That's great, even though they also have stuff that's super proprietary on top of it. But they still do it. Also, Chromium is a great mm -hmm. browser that also has Chrome, which is super proprietary on top of it. It's really, it's, they do a lot of good stuff that I think, I mean, I will say though that Kubernetes is a great example of yeah, like a Kubernetes. huge contribution to the open source world that doesn't have me making a joke about the extra stuff on top because Kubernetes was turned into an open source project with its own foundation and all that stuff. And it's a huge boon to like the, the cloud world. So yeah. in that sense, you know, Google has done quite a few things. Yeah, you have Dart, Go, Flutter, TensorFlow, and TensorFlow. literally hundreds of mm -hmm. others. In 2019, its workers at Google contributed to over 70,000 GitHub repositories. So wow. when you look at how much wow. Google contributes, it, it's big. And yes, a lot mm -hmm. of these, kind of like Microsoft, a lot of these projects kind of benefit Google but they didn't have to open source them, number one. It's true. So even if it benefits them, they could have kept it completely closed source and they didn't. Um, but mm -hmm. number two, a lot of these projects, then open source community can take and kind of remove some of the stuff we don't like, like all oh, the metadata grabbing and things, and turn them into something that is more, you know, fits our yeah. open source values better. Yeah. yeah. I, think it's, I think it's worth noting that, you know, I give Google a hard time about the you know, the way they do co open source contributions and stuff, they do so much of it that it still proves that they do care, you know, to at yeah. least mm -hmm. make that much. And not because it's cool to care to do open source now. They've been doing open source for decades now. So they have been maybe not the greatest example of an open source contributor, but they have been a very consistent and also a very, you know, helpful contributor in thousands of ways. Yeah. The other thing I was just just remembering that's so very important, the Google Summer of Code program. I just thought yeah. of that too. Yes. <laughs> yes. That is an incredibly important part of open source <laughs> yeah. contribution. Yes. yes. <laughs> absolutely. Yep. A lot of their sponsorships and things like that, absolutely amazing. Yeah. Now, a company that doesn't get any credit for its open source, well, because it doesn't do a whole lot of it, but there's some Mm -hmm. There's some is yeah. Apple. Mm -hmm. yeah. And Apple, we have oh, Swift, mm -hmm. WebKit, ResearchKit, CareKit, Bonjour. But the one that shocks most people is Cups. Mm -hmm. That Apple was a big contributor to Cups, uh, which is something that a lot of people utilize, if you don't know, for your printer setup and all that yes. stuff on the back. For those who don't know it, we're, we're not talking about just plastic cups or solo cups. We're talking <laughs> about... Created the <laughs> iCup. Yes. And what the would you do without the iCup? The iCup that doesn't spill... 
and it costs an extra $5,000 every time you want to get a stand for That's it. only if you want now, the wheels for your cup. <laughs> yeah, or the cup holder to attach to yeah. the wheels. Yeah, anyway, but the cups is a project that was created for printing, and it's been used for many, many years of, uh, for Linux and, of course, Mac and printing. Uh, it is worth noting, though, that Apple didn't invent cups. They, the, it was created by a separate project. Then they hired the person who created cups, and then they spent a long time mm -hmm. with Apple being paid to develop cups. And they have since moved on to their own thing with called open printing. So cups is now a separate thing again. But uh, Apple did contribute to the open source world and the Linux printing aspects for many, many years. So it is worth noting that it's, you know, cups is Apple, but not exclusively Apple. Good, good caveat mm -hmm. there. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Well, <laughs> there are so many other companies mm -hmm. here. We just don't have time to go. I mean, you know, the things the GNOME Foundation does, the KDE team does, the, oh, all yeah. of these contributions from everybody. We're just trying to get everyone's mind around this idea of peeling this onion back and looking into mm -hmm. who creates this cool stuff that we use all the time. And this is less than a percent what we covered here. Yeah. <laughs> of not only the companies, but the people and the individuals that go and do this. And we'll try to keep highlighting them as we've done all through our 300 episodes as we come across them. So, yeah. you know, but it's an interesting thing to think about at the end of the day is how did this stuff get created? Who's paying somebody to do this stuff? Uh, and who's helping, you know, donate and, and build these projects up. I want to ask um, Joe and Michael, anything on this list surprise you? Let's start with you, Michael. Not exactly. I mean, there was a couple things that surprised me in the sense that I didn't know what they were in the first place, like the accessibility insights that Microsoft did. I didn't know what that was. But for the most part, I did know who made what. And it's because I was around in the community watching them as they are announcing these new projects. So I just kind of inherently already knew. And I think that's an interesting point because I kind of took it for granted. So I would say you know, just randomly in conversation or like when we would talk about in a previous episode, I would randomly say who made this particular thing. And we got the feedback that then made us, you know, think we should make an episode about that because mm -hmm. th th it was it was an yeah. interesting thing that I just kind of took for granted already knowing. And I think that that I think I hope that this episode helps people be enlightened of like how much effort is being done inside of the corporations, for example, to help Linux grow. Yeah. Jill, any yeah. surprises for you? Not so much a surprise, but it, it was bringing memories back is that uh, Red Hat uh, developed EXT3. Because, mm. you know, I remember using EXT1 back in the 90s, <laughs> in the early 90s, and then EXT2. But I had forgotten about uh, Red Hat's contribution to that. <laughs> yeah. So you both yeah. kind of got to watch <laughs> this all unfold, whereas people like yeah. me who came into Linux way later... I just, mm -hmm. uh, I don't get to watch it unfold. I just get to take it for granted that it's there. <laughs> it's there. Uh, I can yeah, take it for granted. And, and yeah. it's so amazing to me to look at this list. Uh, and, and again, this is 1%. Like we are not, there's no way in an episode we could cover everything. We're just really, I want to emphasize that because I could see the comments now. People are like, why didn't you talk about this and this? Go. <laughs> there's so much. Well, we're going to try to get all those over the years into our episodes, obviously, and talk about people mm -hmm. who contribute. Um, this is kind of our first step. And also, a lot of people are frustrated with corporations in general. And I think that's kind of a purpose of covering this as well. And I get that frustration. I mean, my gosh, all we hear all over the news constantly is companies 
mistreating employees, laying people off, all these stuff. So it's very easy to kind of get into that mindset. But when it comes to open source, I think we have to kind of put them on a different level, different standards we expect from them too, on top of that, but also some appreciation for the fact that a lot of these things don't benefit those companies to pay people to work on. They're contributing time, money, and developers to these projects. Some of them do, don't get me wrong. They're working on projects that help the overall thing. But sometimes it doesn't just help Red Hat or just help Canonical. They're working on stuff that helps all their competitors as well. And they just put it out there for them. So yeah, they want it for themselves, but because it's open source and because they're sticking to that open source philosophy, right. everybody gets mm -hmm. to use it. And that's mm -hmm. a weird thing for us to wrap our heads around. If you've grown up in corporate America, like I have, like, wait a minute, you got to keep your secrets. You got to lock them in a special box yeah. and put passcodes and everything else because you don't want to give away your secret sauce. You know, 100%. It's weird. Just imagine if Red Hat created Network Manager as a proprietary thing and yeah. the only Linux Linux distro that could connect to the internet was Red Hat stuff. Like uh -huh. people would lose their minds, right? But yeah. like at the time when they created it, they didn't even consider that as an option. They were just like, hey, let's give it to everybody so everybody can use it to get on the internet and stuff. Like this kind of fundamental core aspect of contributions to the open source world and the Linux world is something that a lot of people take for granted, like we were talking about, but also are not even aware of at all. They just don't think about it because it's just been there for so long. And it just seems like, yeah, of course it's there because all these people, all these great developers and, you know, doing it in their free time. And the important thing is that a lot of the time it's not in their free time. They're being paid to do it by these companies. And that is something we wanted to, you know, kind of bring to your attention because, a lot of people don't appreciate that aspect of these companies who are a 100%. part of the open source community. Yep. You know, call me Stan in our comments just said, if companies have not established knowing how Linux community works, we'd have more than a hundred file formats now just for text. I thought that was really mm -hmm. interesting thought. Yeah, because probably. If you think about it, yeah. we, we sometimes critique Linux by saying like, there's too much fragmentation. But imagine if it was run like regular corporations, we would have all of these different file formats for every single distro, all these different network connection managers, mm -hmm. all these different display managers, everybody would be doing their own thing. It would be worse, probably. Yeah. I, kinda, I never thought about that. It was a really good and, point. Yeah, and, and that's really good, Ryan, um, to talk about because in the early years of computing, we that's did. what we were doing. We were, yep. <laughs> you know, fighting for the formats. <laughs> And yeah. fighting for good. everything. Fighting yeah, fighting for, for everything. everything. Let's, <laughs> yeah. let's talk about yeah. the fact that we're we're having this conversation about Linux and so many things are like interacting with different Linux components and all that sort of stuff. And you're talking about how there could be a different configuration for a different format for different text files and all this other stuff. We actually saw this happen. Like mm -hmm. Jill said, it's called yeah. Unix. <laughs> Unix <laughs> did this yeah. exact terrible decision. <laughs> where they made everything proprietary, but you could license it and you could make your own stuff. And then like, yeah. and then there was like 50 different Unixes that are all incompatible with each other. In fact, the company who created Unix even had different departments different with different versions, versions of Unix yeah. that were not compatible <laughs> with themselves in their own company. That, yeah. is the, that, that is the perfect example of how you could do it wrong because they already did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So if you want to make sure that the open source community continues to thrive and continues to grow, then make sure that you take some time to think about 
the behind the scenes, who people are that are contributing to this. Maybe send them a nice thank you note. And in this 300th episode, we're actually going to put our money where our mouth is, literally. And we're going to do some donations to some open source projects. $300 for the 300th episode. We're going to give away some money there as thanks for all these amazing projects out there. Now, we talked about an open source that you don't want to put the code in a box with a bunch of locks and other things. But there is a purpose for a box with locks and all this other stuff and encryption. And that's for your password manager. And that would be Bitwarden. This episode of Destination <laughs> Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with a free account at bitwarden.com slash tux, a password manager software that allows you peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. Bitwarden provides you the tools to store all your passwords in a secure vault, auto-generate those passwords and your usernames. So they got your username. They got 50% of your credentials to get in there and automatically fill in those passwords so you don't have to remember them all. You can access your data across many types of devices. You can use mobile apps, desktop applications. If you're one of those command line warriors where you only stay in the command line, I like you, number one. But number two, you can use Bitwarden right there. And Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end encryption before it ever leaves your device. And that's a critical point to Bitwarden. Before it leaves your device, it does the encryption. Not once it sends it over to its own server before it leaves your device there. So go to bitwarden.com slash tux and get started. You can get started for free. They also have a premium account. It comes with all kinds of cool stuff. My favorite feature is the two-step login with YubiKey, which is just an additional two-factor authentication on top of it. You get all that for less than a dollar per month. So go to bitwarden.com slash T-U-X, that's slash tux, slash T-U-X to get started. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode, our 300th episode of Destination Linux. Let's talk about a new Linux laptop that has some really cool specs. And we're gonna, we're gonna, I'll let Ryan tell you about this, the actual specifics. But what I first wanted to tell you about is if, if you wanna learn more about hardware, you need to check out Hardware Addicts because this is a podcast that Ryan, Wendy, and myself do, where, of course, I'm the full expert in that podcast, and Ryan is the Padawan, (laughs) naturally. And if you are a listener, you know that there are some very common themes that we talk about and some complaints as well that we share when it comes to uh, PC hardware on the market. One company looking to fix that is Star Labs with their new laptop called the Starfighter. Now, you might be wondering, what makes this machine different? And I'm glad you ask. As the expert on hardware addicts, I can tell you all sorts of great things about this particular laptop. But Ryan said that he wanted to prove himself. So I'm going to let him do it in this particular episode. So, Ryan, what makes this machine different? Well, you already know, Michael. Why don't you tell everyone? <laughs> that was good, Michael. Uh, uh, Ryan, uh, you have the floor. What? All right, here we go. So we, we're all friends here. We've done 300 episodes together. Hopefully all of you have listened to all 300 episodes. If not, we expect that to be done before the weekend's up. Yeah, you but, have homework now, people. Yeah, you yeah. have homework now. But we're all friends now, so I, I'm going to be honest here. Most of the hardware laptops in Linux suck. Like, they're just not good. And there's a lot of reasons why they're not good. The It's either the screen resolution is terrible, the keyboards they put in it are terrible, the... Uh, ports that they have in it are terrible. The touch it, it's just the touchpads. Oh my gosh, the touchpads are so bad. Like they click into the mm. frame. The frames are terrible. You're typing on the keyboard and it like sinks in. It, it just if you go across the range, it's awesome. We have choices in Linux now. Do not get me wrong. I am so happy we have companies out there manufacturing laptops for Linux. 
but I don't buy most of them. And frankly, based on the sales numbers, most of you don't buy them either. And a lot of that is because they're just, they're not a good dollar for dollar match to other things that are out there. You could go get a Dell and put Linux on it that has better specs than the Linux manufactured laptops out there and things like that, for instance. Of course, now Dell and Lenovo make Linux versions. They're usually for developers and they're very high priced. And things. So that's what excites me about this particular machine there because I haven't got my hands on it, but looking at the specs here, this looks to like they literally listened to hardware addicts and all of the complaints that we've had and they took all of that and made a laptop out of it here. You have an all-matte display, which is really important for glare. If you have a glossy display, it's so annoying to for me as a content creator to make content where I'm recording a laptop with a glossy screen, let alone being able to see stuff in sunlight oh, and all yeah. that type of stuff. But just you always got your own dumb reflection showing up in, you know, when you're trying to film and things like it's just so this is all matte. So that's nice. No 1920 by 1080 screen. Because what? we're still not in 1990s, so they decided, <laughs> Star Labs, to actually have a proper screen here at 2560 by 1600, which is a quad HD resolution screen with high Brian, I was, color. I was really hoping for a 1366 by 768. That's what I was hoping for. Right? I mean, I know. That, that's really the standard <laughs> for most Linux laptop manufacturers out there. Thankfully, Chromebooks. Yeah. <laughs> you got the 16 by 10 aspect ratio. You've got a heavy, heavy brightness here. 165 hertz refresh rate. So you don't have this 60 hertz in a laptop. 178 degree viewing angles, 180 degree hinge on this. Plus it's fully specced out and they have privacy built in. But when we talk about touchpad, haptic touchpad, if you've ever played with an Apple laptop, you will know why this is such a big deal. Number one, it's an all-glass trackpad, which makes a huge freaking difference. If you've never put your hands on one, then don't leave your comment about how you love your trackpad from your Dell you know, 710 from 1993 because if you haven't touched the glass trackpad, it's going to change your life. It's like going from a non-mechanical keyboard to mechanical keyboard, and this is haptic, so guess what? It's not going to push in the frame. It kind of simulates the pushes like the Apple trackpad does there. Uh, there's so many brilliant things that they've worked in here. I could go on and on. The, the camera, privacy built in. The camera actually detaches. This is a really unique option. Dell tried to do something where they had the infinity edge, where they put the camera on the bottom of the screen. Worst idea ever. Yeah, everyone's looking up your nose. <laughs> but they did that so they could keep, keep the border really small, right? Yeah. Well, Star Labs is like, how about we just have a detachable webcam that sits on the front? You know, you just... Perfect. it on when you need it and you don't. And plus you have your kind of privacy there as well because you can just detach the whole thing if you want to. Um, it's got a 16-inch screen, DDR5 RAM, two four-watt front-facing speakers. So unlike a lot of laptop mm -hmm. manufacturers where they're shooting the speakers into your lap, which makes no darn sense at all, you've got front-facing speakers here, fingerprint sensor. Uh, you've got tons of ports, including Thunderbolt if you get the Intel version, kill switches. You look at Purism laptops, look at the cost of those things to get a kill switch built in, which is pretty much its only selling point, in my opinion. Yeah. You could get that here uh, for far less and a much more reputable company, in my opinion, as well. I was just going to say, you know, wait, they have like yeah. they have selling points. That's that's surprising. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's a whole different episode. We'll have to cover there. Anyways, I, I say all this to say. Star Labs has a Starfighter laptop that's absolutely spec-wise knocking it out of the park. This has my attention 
Star Labs, you have my full undivided attention on this laptop. Jill, even the price here, if you were to yeah. get this from some of the other Linux manufacturers out there that wouldn't even have these specs, we're talking it would probably start at $24, 2600 $24, $25. Easy, yeah, right? this, this one's uh, 1677 US dollars starting. So yeah. you're getting it's a, not cheap, a lot of great features. But you're getting spec. a lot for that money yeah. finally, right? Yeah. There's people who are charging far more for that in the Linux community, and you're yeah. getting... A lot less, <laughs> like a 1920 by 1080 screen. Oh, I love this laptop because it's it's called uh, Starfighter. Uh, one of my favorite movies is The Last Starfighter. So <laughs> I bet Michael's never seen it because we found out Michael's never seen Aliens. I bet he's never seen Starfighter either. Michael, have you seen Starfighter? Wait a second. Wait a second, Ryan. You are. You said earlier that you had to look up what a Zygon was because you're not familiar with Doctor Who, and now you're gonna try to call me out on aliens? <laughs> I mean, how could you even uh, begin I'm to pretend- I'm familiar with Doctor Who, I just sure. forgot Zygon, but yeah, so did sure you, you did. and so did Jill. We all had to look it <laughs> well, up. None of you I, knew you. I knew okay, I did look names, it up, that's true. I, <laughs> yeah, there, there, there's other aliens that are, have a similar name in other, other movies, so I had to double check that that was the right so one if, from Doctor Who. <laughs> no, Michael dodged the Starfighter question. I didn't. I didn't. I just no. wanted to, I said the fact that you brought it up, I have to point out that you're do, you're being ridiculous. And I have seen The Last Starfighter. I have okay. seen it. it wow. It, I, not up until like three years ago was I finally saw it. But I did Aww. see it. Congratulations. So there are sometimes <laughs> I see movies that are expected to be seen. Yeah. Sometimes I don't. <laughs> It, it whatever. <laughs> Jill, what are some other things you like about this laptop? Yeah. So what I thought was fascinating is actually the it has a, the backlit keyboard. Nice. Includes a subtle LED indicators that are built into the keys to let you know when caps lock or function lock are enabled. And that's a really nice feature. So they're not there there's not a, a little LED on the side of the keyboard that shines into your eye. <laughs> And it's too bright. I get so, so many questions <laughs> from people at, at our work. We use these Lenovo's that do not have good indicators that you've pushed yeah. some weird button combination that's turned some feature off that nobody can figure out how. It, like that's so annoying. Like when you don't know scroll lock and other things are on. So yes, that is more important than people realize to have indicators yeah. for what function keys are enabled. Exactly. Or my favorite one is when people <laughs> like contact me and say, hey, my computer's, my internet's not working. And why does a laptop have a hard kill on the Wi-Fi that's so easy to press? Yeah. Like, yeah. it's not even under the function key. It's just the regular key. And they're trying to hit the F key, like, you know, the F4 uh -huh. or whatever. And they have to reactivate that key. But, you know, if you don't touch it, it's automatically kill Wi-Fi. Who thought that was a great idea? We need to fix mm -hmm. this <laughs> Yeah, the, the other thing I really like is that it has a 165 hertz IPS display. Nice. Honestly, now that I have a, a, a 200 hertz uh, monitor, and it's the ultra-wide one right behind me, I, I can't go back to 60 anymore. Yeah, makes <laughs> so, all the difference. Yeah. I, and the fact I that like it's that. also, it's a 4K <laughs> 165, which is absolutely. even, you know? yeah. Absolutely, and up to eighteen hours of battery life—that's incredible. And I and I I yeah. hope that's the case. <laughs> Jill knows hardware. You know, yeah. I know Jill knows hardware. She's like, it says eighteen hours. Yeah, I hope that's the case. Yeah. Rarely does that ever happen. 
Yeah. And um, personally, I actually would go the AMD Ryzen route because the display supports AMD FreeSync. And AMD C- FreeSync with an AMD Ryzen processor is beautiful. I've got three systems in here that I utilize that with, including the one I'm on. Yeah. <laughs> nice. nice. The only thing missing here, if I was to wine, would be an option to add a GPU inside of it as well. Mm. But, you know, outside of the integrated one with the CPU, but again, as far as the hardware goes, like they, they put top of the line storage in here as well. They did not put it cheap yeah. in VME. Uh, this happens a lot with laptops. They have the specs for the good processor, maybe some good RAM, but then they really go cheap on the drive, the storage drive, the most important yeah. part. It keeps all your personal information. <laughs> uh, they didn't do that here. Really, everything here is looks like it's top quality. So I can't wait to get my hands on it. Check out Star Labs. Check them out and see what you think. Yeah, and I think it's, it's, I'll give you some credit here, Ryan. You did prove yourself that you know a little bit about hardware. So I'll, I'll upgrade you from Padawan to like maybe Junior Jedi. Oh, junior no. Jedi. Yeah. Oh, I'll like, take Junior Jedi. It sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Expert. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> uh, so, and also, let's talk about, you know, real quick about the whole Doctor Who thing. You know, you might not have remembered, but we can let Zygons be Zygons. Yeah. Oh, gosh. That's perfect. <sighs> I just imagined everybody turning off the podcast right at that moment. <laughs> like, they were all happy. They were smiling. They're like, wow, I'm going to go check out that laptop. And then Michael said the dad joke. And then the yeah. pike, they just turned and then, off. And No. And in fact, I would bet that more like 85% at least just sat back and started clapping. Like, just a such just a good clapping. dad joke. Oh, wow. was, yeah. <laughs> Save us, Jill. So, do you miss space shooters like our type? And uh, I, I wonder if Michael can name some sci-fi movie, movies with some, with some space battles in them. Yeah, any movies. Most with sci-fi space movies have space battles. I have one, seen, Michael. I have one. seen. I have seen sci-fi shows or movies, Jill. Yeah, Come on, I've I seen know, some. I like know. Star Wars has some sci-fi battles in it. You know, space battle to the wrath of Khan, the ultimate. Yeah, of course, there's plenty. I've seen, I've seen quite a few, just not the ones that Ryan specifically asked me about, uh, and and continues to find more and more that I haven't seen. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Do you, do you miss space shooters like our type, or like games that are like or asteroids but on steroids? Shame on you, Michael. <laughs> so- <laughs> oh my goodness I got J- J- Jill shamed me people <laughs> yeah. so if a massive uh-huh. weapon upgrades and endless chaos on the screen is your jam and something you like check out Void Scrapers it has 149 very positive reviews on Steam and Void Scrapers lets you blast hordes of alien ships into junk, collect the scrap <laughs> to upgrade your ship into an unstoppable force of destruction. <laughs> I like shooting the alien ships into junk. I love that line yes, there. Yeah. That's yep. really great. <laughs> and you can fight and destroy bosses and grab the weapons they drop. And, and that's a really fun feature. Actually, that was one of my favorite things to do in the game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And what's really cool is the graphics, the menus, and overall theming, I think, is fantastic. And uh, the game is very lightweight and works great. And, uh, oh, another thing. The Wazda keyboard response is excellent. 
yeah. a lot of the games have a very slow, <laughs> slow, you know, response when you're hitting the, the keys on the keyboard. And this one was just immediate. Nice. Really nice. And it has a wonderful uh, electronic music soundtrack. So I actually brought bought the Void Scrapers with soundtrack bundle, which is really cool on Steam. Nice. And it was on sale. So I've been enjoying the soundtrack. And it supports our penguins out of the box. So you can go grab it for only $3.99 on Steam. And it that would be a fun a game fun... for the Steam Deck. I feel yeah. Like. yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Nice. yeah. Yeah. It's a There's great nothing like a space shooter game. on a portable machine yeah. to really take it to the next <laughs> level. I, I love these space shooter games. Did Michael say, Jill, that he'd never heard of R Type? Please tell me. No, that. Yeah. whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I said I never played R Type. I have just... heard okay. of R Type. I have heard of R Type. In the <laughs> other times we on the show talk about games that are similar to R Type. I mean, Joe, I, I think it's <laughs> considered one of the greatest space shooters of all time with R Type. It is. Sure. And it really started a whole genre. So many clones yeah. of R Type. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, this yeah. is a really cool game. You well, can get Ryan, have you ever played NBA Live 95? No. <laughs> no. Thank you. So, no, yeah. 100% uh, not. I mean, <laughs> magical getting a ball in a hoop. It is magical. In a video game. Do you have to hydrate when you're playing the video game too? Always. Yeah. Always. Okay. Good. Glad to hear that. <laughs> so our software spotlight this week. Last episode in the tips and tricks, Michael talked about how encryption, how it's important to encrypt the files before you're sending them over to the cloud and how encryption works in general. And one of the things that came up is that I started teasing people that I was not going to tell you what tool I use to do my local encryption until the very next episode. Little did we know, Michael and I would get sick. Michael had to fly uh, and go to the Ubuntu Summit and all this stuff happened. So you've had to wait weeks for it, but it's going to be worth the wait here because yeah. the tool I use is absolutely <laughs> the simplest, easiest way to encrypt your files before you send them up to the cloud. And that's Crypto Matter. So that's M-A-T-O-R. You can go to cryptomatter.org to check it out. It's so simple and easy to use. You can set up a file, a folder, encrypt it. And then if you want to view that folder, or once you shut down the program, it becomes invisible. You can't see it. And then you open up Cryptomatter, you unencrypt that, and then that file becomes available to you again. And then you can put stuff in there and send it out. I just absolutely love this tool. It's so easy to utilize. Jill, have you ever checked out Crypto Matter? Yeah. In fact, I was uh, I was really in impressed with how easy the user interface is to, yeah. to use it, and especially for for you know beginners and new people new people into uh, cryptography. Exactly. So yeah, and it's got a really nice, easy to use download. And launch app image. <laughs> so, yeah, it makes it awesome. super simple. You got the AES two fifty six standard. There are other tools out there. There are hundred. There are also hundred other tools. They're also amazing. This is just one of the simplest ones I think to get started in cryptography and in utilizing this type of technology on your machine. Mm -hmm. The tip of the week this week is related to DNF, which can be done on Fedora, Red Hats, and distros like that. And we're going to be talking about the package updates for DNF and whether you want to set up automatic updates. Now, DNF is a fantastic package tool and I have never really had any issues with reliability with it. So I would be very comfortable doing this in some situations, maybe not every situation, because depending if it's like mission critical, you might not want to do it. But 
I wanted to tell you about this because it's very, very cool to do. So you can set up the DNF automatic tool, which is DNF-automatic. And it synchronizes package data as uh, and metadata, that kind of thing as needed. And it checks for available updates and it can perform the updates for you if you want. Now, and it has a, double, a couple configurations you could do. You could say, I want it to download the packages, but not install them. You can also say, I want to download the packages and install them automatically. And then the next time you just re you reboot your system, you got all your new packages. It's just, it's a really cool option for those who want to set up, you know, an appliance on Red Hat, for example. Like when we were talking about this, Ryan gave an example of a pie hole that you set up on Red Hat and that you can then just have this set up to good to, good to go because that example wouldn't be very crit mission critical. But, you know, these there's tons of different ways you could do this. And I think it's really cool for those who would like to have an automatic system with, for DNF. And you can also customize it with the configuration files for a lot of different ways. And we'll have a link in the show notes for how to do that. What I think this would be really useful for is for me to get a hold of Michael's computers, install this, and set it up so that Michael <laughs> actually updates his machine, which we talk about on the show to all of you out there constantly about how important it is to update. But our very own Michael Tunnell never, ever, oh. ever updates after he okay. does an initial well, install. Well, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Let's let's point out to everyone, people. Point out because he's a production me, system. <laughs> let me say something. I I need to clarify that Ryan so often makes things up as he's talking about me. Okay, just remember, people, he is making stuff but up. Is this one of most of the time? No, it's not. It's true. I don't. <laughs> um, I don't. I haven't updated my system, my current system, my production system in a, 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 a few months or so. We you should know. get a well, shirt. Well, you have made. a good it's, reason. You need stability for broadcasting. It's not a good reason. You've got to reason, make sure Jill. that all the tools See, work. Jill understands, all the extensions, Thank that you, OBS and, you know, everything works. Thank you, Yeah, Jill. but you've got security <laughs> holes all over your machine. Great. Fantastic. Probably. Thank goodness. <laughs> Well, I also have multiple machines that have different versions of stuff. So it's not like yeah. I don't have up-to-date yeah. versions. It's just this particular install that I'm currently using has not been updated in a, in a while. But other ones have, so there's that. We should use this and set this up on your machine so we don't have to worry about it again. Um, Michael, uh, I think that it's uh, important that you update your machine and since we tell people to update their machines all the time. So right after this show, I'd like you to go ahead and run an update from six months ago in your Fedora install. Well, and I mean, I well would, Ryan, but unfortunately I can't because this is a 300th episode celebration and we're going right. to be having the patron-only post-show being open to everyone. And so we're going to have a everybody post-show right after the show. So I can't upgrade right after the show. It's just, it is what it is. It's yeah. not my fault. Yeah. Next week. Next week, then. Maybe next week we'll get you to update. Maybe. <laughs> well, I like that you brought up the 300th episode celebration because right after DL Today, everyone is invited. You're going to be a patron today. You can get into the mm -hmm. after-show We'd love to talk with you and hang out. Plus, we're going to be donating $300 to open source projects to celebrate our 300th episode. $150 is going to go one of our most beloved open source projects on this show, which is Caden Live. So $150 of yeah. it is going to go to Caden Live because they just opened up the ability to donate directly to Caden Live, yes. which mm -hmm. is dope. 
and we get to donate to that because, well, Caden Live is pretty important, Michael. Yeah, for it's a important lot of for this show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I have been wanting Caden Live to make it possible to donate to them for years. Yeah. And I even I asked everyone who's a part of that team, when can I donate? When can I donate? And they would be eventually mm-hmm. like, well, you will not yet, but eventually we, we, we will do it. Mm-hmm. But, and then now that we have that option, I am super happy to be doing it, especially a part of the 300th episode as a celebration to be like, this is something that we use every single week to make this show. And I use every single time I make a video mm-hmm. on my channel and everything. So yeah. the fact that Caden Live is so critical to my workflow, and now we have the option to you know contribute to them in that sense, I am super happy that we're going to be doing it and especially doing it as a part of the 300th episode. Yep. And then the other $150, we let our patrons decide what they wanted to donate to. So we received a lot of amazing comments with a lot of great feedback on why a certain project should be picked. I wish we could pick them all. We probably will eventually. This is definitely not the first time we've donated uh, money to open source projects. Um, but one really stood out to me, and it was because of what Stahl said about this project. They said, congratulations for your 300th episode. That's funny that I said it's what they said, and it starts with congratulating us. Yeah, because you congratulated <laughs> us. They did we say that, though, Ryan. So. To that yeah. project, yeah. yeah. Um, they said it's an amazing milestone. My vote would go to the Document Foundation LibreOffice. The reason being, that regardless of the distribution, they serve so many people. A good FOSS office suite, such an important cornerstone of productivity everywhere for home use, education, governments, NGOs, research businesses, you name it, they help support it. So I couldn't think of a better project, honestly, to uh, donate to there. So $150 is going to go to Caden Live, $150 to LibreOffice, and thank you to both of those um, groups for the amazing work they do in open source. Caden Live and LibreOffice have done amazing things for us. Uh, over the years. So everybody gets to be a rock star patron today, right Yay. after this show as well. Did you just use a applause sound effect there, Michael? No, that was Jill. Is <laughs> <laughs> that you and patron? I, I did it just really, <laughs> no, I heard the applause sound effect. Uh, oh, right oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I, I, I think I, it was, I did not, I did not do it, but <laughs> there we go. Thank you, people. Yes, I will be there in the Patreon after show. Hey, calm down, please. Right, thank you. <laughs> calm down. Calm down. <laughs> All right. So a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening. However you do it to Destination Linux, we love your faces. We are here every Sunday, usually, at 1 p.m. Eastern, live at tuxdigital.com slash live. And the best part, everyone is invited to watch the recording of Destination Linux each and every week. We can't wait to see you in the chat. We also have with us right now our glorious patrons, which they get a ton of awesome perks like un- unedited versions of the show. If you're not able to watch it live, you can still watch it as a patron. They also get to hang out with us in the patron-only post show. Well, and you know, this episode is gonna be an everybody post show, so feel free to join us. But every other week that we're live, you can join us in the patron-only post show by becoming a patron when you go to tuxdigital.com contribute and sign up to be a patron. Now. You can also go to tuxdigital.com slash store to get even more cool stuff. Woo-hoo. Like we have swag, we got t-shirts, m- hug, hugs. We do have hugs, but they're not <laughs> we'll on the store. We'll give you a hug. Order a hug, everyone. I was trying to say hoodie and mug and they merged yeah. together. And we got- We, we got sell stickers. our hugs. Yeah. Don't we come to hugs. us at a conference <laughs> and try to give us a hug without paying first. 
We will give you a ticket that says you get a hug and then we'll hug you after. But Exactly. Yeah, and it's also hug. an IOU hug. It's not even immediately. You have to you have to get in line for the queue of the <laughs> And we also have stickers and hats and a yeah. lot more that are real things. So go to tuxdigital.com slash store. I wonder how many hugs you would sell versus Jill, Michael. I feel like Aww, Jill would sell I, the most I, hugs. I, I think she would monopolize the hug department. <laughs> yeah. <Okay. laughs> and uh, make sure to check out all our incredible shows here on Text Digital. We have the Pseudo Show, This Week in Linux, the DOS Geek Channel, Linux Out Loud, Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, and Linux Saloon. Everyone head to textdigital.com and subscribe to all these great shows. And don't forget to leave a, a rating on your favorite app so others can discover the power of open source and keep those penguins marching and the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce. Everybody have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the hugs. That will cost you $3. Hug. That will cost you three dollars. Yeah. Hug. <laughs> Tugsdigital.com slash store slash hugs. Slash hugs. It's yeah. not, <laughs> that's not a thing. Don't you <laughs> maybe it will be. What do you be? mean Who that's knows? not a thing? It needs to be a thing. We need we to need charge to... for hugs. <laughs>